Welcome to Watershed's September podcast. My name is Mark Cosgrove. I'm a cinema curator here at Watershed uh, and delighted this month to be joined by Rich Warren, who is the director of Encounters Festival, and Thea Berry, who's the cinema producer here at Watershed, and by Liz Cheggy, who's a member of Come the Revolution, which is a black collective of programmers and curators based in Bristol and beyond. And we're going to be talking about with Les, we're going to be talking particularly about Shola Amu's new film, The Last Tree, which opens this month. And with Thea, we're going to be looking at some of the features that are opening at Watershed. But let's start with, with Rich and Encounters, uh, international short film and animation festival. Now, Rich, I declare an interest. I, I've been here long enough to have been at the, the beginning of Encounters Film Festival. I was which, not. Which I, I, <laughs> I, I very much was, um, which actually started out because the thing is, it's the 25th year this year that we're, that we're celebrating of um, the festival. When it started all those years ago, it, it wasn't thought of as a festival at all. It was, it was an event showing short films as part of the centenary of cinema. That's it. I mean, my understanding is it was taking where cinema began with the Lumiers in 1895. There's an argument about where it started, okay. but let's not... Let, let's not let's, let's not, save that for another podcast. Let, yeah. But yes, it was that it, the early days of cinema. And, it's, and, it's, and the idea is that because it started with short film, cinema started with short film, just because the simple nature of it being easier to make a short than a feature, that it made sense at the birth of Brief Encounters, as it was then, that we show short films. But it certainly wasn't thought of as a festival. It was no, it was, it was a centenary of cinema event um, showcasing, as you say, short film because the, the, it, the birth of cinema was short film. But also there was an element of Bristol at that time. The BBC in Bristol were commissioning short films and in fact some of those short films were Aardman yeah, exactly. animations. Yeah, you know? yeah. um, so there was a real strength and it was partly, there was a kind of thing around, oh well, let's also celebrate Bristol's strength in short filmmaking at that time. And there was a thing about short film in general just in terms of filmmaking at that time as well because I dug out the programme from uh, the very first edition and, and there's the, you have got your likes of your Aardmans in there. You've got a short by Dr Dre in there. Uh, there's, right. there's one by Peter Capaldi, yeah, yeah, uh, the yeah. one that he, I think he's, he's short won an Oscar. All of these elements were kind of like making a perfect storm to actually have a celebration of short film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and as the story goes, I mean, you tell the story better than I do, but it was such success on that first. Well, the thing that happened was, well, first of all, we, we, there was a bunch of partners that were involved. So it, it did bring together Ardman. Uh, that's how I got to know Ardman. Um, Kieran was working at Ardman, who's now Kieran Argo, who's the animation curator for um, the festival. Uh, it brought together the BBC Festival of Ideas, Andrew Kelly, you know, different people within the city. So it brought those people together, and that then formed the, the, the sort of nucleus. But the, the, the thing that happened, which is always brilliant um, when you're putting on events and you'll know this, is a bloody audience turns up. I know, how dare and, they? <laughs> and you just think, oh, there's an audience. So there's an interest, there's an enthusiasm. Oh, we just thought, you know, you kind of, you kind of, you always hope an audience is going to turn up, of course. But, you know, it's short film, and you're sort of thinking, well, it, it'll be a great celebration for us and you know the cinema oh, there's a context but the audience turned up so of course we thought oh maybe we should do this next year maybe we've got um and and then it, it progressed and there was a there was i always remember a point at which we felt this is more than a celebration of 
short film. This is, uh, we've got a festival in our hands here, and then starting to talk about to the industry, the wider industry. And it's really, it, I mean, it is, um, I'll say it, it is the leading UK, if not European, it's an international short film um, and animation uh, showcase with international reputation. I mean, absolutely. Um, what, I mean, what became crucial with that was the, when we started the competition yeah. and started accepting submissions, so actually encouraging people to, to send us that. Because I think it came from the fact that you were getting so many inquiries from filmmakers saying, can yeah. you screen my short? Yeah. Uh, so we opened the competition, and, and that is, that's really what's led us to become this international platform. Yeah. Uh, this year we got over 4,200 submissions. Well, that's what I was going to say. Let's um, talk about the scale of it. Yeah. Um, what, what you, I was... You know, we were getting a few hundred, and it would grow uh, it would every, every year. So now it's what four thousand, you say? Yeah, I mean, I started uh, with a festival uh, two thousand seven, two thousand eight, and I remember that year being a shocking year because we reached a thousand submissions, and we were like, "How are we going to watch all these films?" And then since then, steadily, we've grown and grown, and with the uh, increase of digital technology, the fact that you've got online streaming platforms. So submitting films internationally becomes much easier rather than sending a physical VHS. We're now up to 4,200 submissions. I mean, and we're, and we're no, by no means receiving the most in the world. You know, there's festivals like Clément Ferrand in South France that get over 10,000 submissions. And I think that really indicates the level of short filmmaking internationally. Mm. Because these aren't just the, I mean, these, there's more films than that being made, but there's 10,000 short films that are of, let's say, of a festival standard being made a year. And that shows this movement in uh, new talent within the moving image and people that are experimenting mm. uh, with storytelling mm. through short well, this, film. This is the, the thing about um, the short film format, is I'm always really amazed and brilliantly surprised by the creativity and the experimentation and, and just the energy and ideas that short films... Because the challenge when you're making a feature film, of course, is that you've, you, your budget's gone up You've, if you've got financing, you've got investors, you've got people that are all saying, you know, we need this, we want this, or whatever. But with short film, there's a kind of purity to the, the, the filmmakers have got the space to create. And it's a space to play with ideas. I mean, because yeah. there, is, there isn't any pressure coming from the studios or anything, you know, that, that you have to get an, an audience and you have to do this, you have to do that. It's, it's an environment, I mean, I like to think of it as like a playground of where of a film is where people play out ideas. You've got new talent that are cutting their teeth and learning the craft as much as anything else and developing their skills as storytellers, but you've also got people that will just want to try out ideas. I mean, it, every innovation in filmmaking has started off within short films, go all the way back from the Lumiere brothers when they mm, were yeah, yeah. making the short films, all the way to now with VR. You know, that's all been, all, there's short films that they're making with VR because it makes sense that we're, yeah. whilst we're trying to under, get our head around how this thing will work. And with the festival now being in its 25th edition, of course, we, you know, you can look back on people's careers as well. So, I mean, the, you know, directors like Andrew Arnold, Carl Morley, you know, a whole bunch of people that are recognised in, in the feature film world. But, of course, they don't come fully formed into that feature film world. They don't just arrive fully formed. And what we're trying to do with the festival this year is bring back the shorts of the likes of Andrew Arnold and Lynn Ramsey and uh, even the likes of Richard Linklater and Taika Waititi, you know, who we've all had at the festival. Like yeah. the, We've screened their work at the festival yeah. and show that relationship between the features and the short yeah. film. And it's also um, really developed in terms of networking um, for filmmakers, but also for the industry as well. Um, I, you, you know, I, I also teach um, filmmakers and 
uh, running an uh, MA in contemporary film culture, and you get people say, "How do I get into the business? How do I, you know, get um, progress?" And you know, one of the ways in which you do it is you network, and the, the where you network is at things like film festivals because there's a concentrated moment um, where a lot of the industry um, and potential partners or whether producers, um, directors, etc., scriptwriters are going to be around. I mean, this is where we're quite fortuitous and 25 years ago when you all got together and you had the brainstorming exercise of what should we call it and you put encounters in the title. Yeah. You know, that's really helpful in terms of how we explain what the festival is. Yeah. Uh, you know, the purpose of the festival is about creating opportunities for people, um, creating opportunities for, it could be to meet a, a new producer, it could be to be inspired by something, it could be to find out about some funding, it could be to find out a missing piece in your industry knowledge. But the purpose is, is that we create an environment where it's uh, very open, very uh, very free-flowing, and, and people exchange ideas and can have those conversations, and you meet, and that horrible, scary networking word that everyone I know, you, you, I know you, you say, that, you say the word network, I know people go, oh my God, what, what is it? Yeah. It's kind of just been in a bar well, <laughs> after a screening well, and having is, a conversation. But this is, I mean, we get, so we get international guests coming to the festival uh, who go to festivals all over the world and they say how fortunate we are to be able to host it at the watershed because you've got cinemas one end of the building where we show the films. We've got the conference spaces at the other end of the building where we hold master classes and panel discussions where we talk about the films. And then we've got a cafe bar right in the middle yeah. where people get together and say, well, what do you think of that? And what do you think of that? And have you seen this? And what do you think of that? And they talk about what they've heard. And what about the, the, the general public? Because you say people, I mean, it's, it's, it's a public um, event. How, how can, can they engage? Because people might think, oh, that's, an in, you know, that's for filmmakers, that's for the industry. How can this wider public... Over the, over the years, I'm aware that festivals, and including Encounters, have had this idea of you know, shutting away from, you know, putting the red tape up and, and, you know, and saying this isn't, this isn't for you, this is for the industry and this isn't for you. And something we've tried really hard with Encounters is to make it an open thing and make it everything accessible. So you can buy tickets at every single event at Encounters. It is not a, a, an industry-only activity. It's for the general public as much as anyone else. There's a lot of things going on within the festival that, that you will not be as a whereabouts. So what we've tried to do, certainly in, uh, in the evenings and at the weekends, is create programs that are potentially more accessible. The idea, you know, we create programs around themes like horror and uh, comedy and the infamous late lounge where you know, there's all the weird and wacky stuff that you can only get away with in short film. We try and make those accessible points. Um, and then also, you know, just in terms of the ticketing prices, uh, we try and keep the prices as low as possible. This year it's uh, £8 and £6. But we also do a discovery pass where you can, uh, with a discovery pass, you can attend any five events. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a ticket for five events, uh, any of five events. So you can really discover what the festival is all about. And, and I mean, I would really encourage a anybody who's interested in film to go and see some of the programmes, you know, the international programmes, British programmes. And because what's great about it is. I mean, they're short films, so you know you're watching one. There's another one that's coming along. There's another one, and there can be a different change in mood, um, change in atmosphere of the, the the film. And what you're seeing is potentially, you know, who knows what that director's going to go on to do. And it's it's a really stimulating, exciting um, way of watching films. And it's also it's extended beyond um, Watershed. There's there's other venues now that you're using in the city. Absolutely. I mean, there's such a kind of a victim of our own success that we, we no longer fit in the watershed. 
Um, so we're now, uh, we've got some activity going on over the river at the Arnold Feeney. Uh, we've introduced a student programme this year uh, to kind of acknowledge all of the work that's being done by UK film students. Um, so they've got their own dedicated competition program running there this year. Um, we're also going to be screening uh, some stuff from the European Animation Awards over there as well. Uh, we're using Colston Hall this year. Uh, in Colston Hall we've got an extension of our Immersive Encounters strand. So Immersive Encounters is where we look at what moving image is doing outside of the cinema. So that's where we include things like our virtual reality. So virtual reality will be at the Limina Theatre uh, just below the watershed. but. Um, we've got some installations going on in there. Uh, we've got performance from DJ Yoda on our closing night doing his Tarantino set, uh, which you can access with yeah, it's pass holder only, but if you get a discovery pass, you can go mm. to that. And the beautiful thing with short film is if you don't like something, you only have to wait a couple of minutes before the next one starts. And the dates and how can people find out more information? So uh, we're running last week of September, so that's the 24th to the 29th of September. Uh, you can find all the information at encounters.film is our website. You can just pop Encounters into the Google and uh, we will be either top or just underneath the dating website. Great. Thank you very much, Rich. You're welcome. So that leads us nicely on to um, Shola Amu and The Last Tree because, as we mentioned earlier, Shola short films were, were screened at uh, Encounters. His first feature, Moving Image, was screened at the festival uh, a couple of years back. He's, he's now made his second um, feature, The Last Tree, which is semi-autobiographical. It, it's, it's, um, it's a great film, um, but he is, Shola's a really great example of um, what we were talking about, uh, Rich and I were talking about, about um, you know, talent development mm. and, and a, a major uh, British voice, uh, filmmaking voice that's come through. And his, The Last Tree has been released this, this month uh, it's actually going to be show we're showing, going to be showing it during uh, over the encounters period, but we've got a preview and show us coming down for a Q and A, and you're going to be talking to him, Liz. I you, will. You've seen you've seen the film. Um, what what do you think of um, Shola's films? You know his you, you know his work. What, how what what do you respond to in the film? What a big question, <laughs> especially for someone who's just starting, you know? Yeah. Um, he's so different. I think, I mean, for example, the Dear Mr. Shakespeare uh, short that he made with visual artist Phoebe Boswell, who wrote the film. Um, I'd, I, it's, it's so difficult to explain, I, I find, his, his work. A moving image is a film that's meant to be a documentary, but it doesn't quite fit in the documentary mm -hmm. genre. Um, and, and then that, it that also exists online. So it's a good example actually uh, for encounters because there's a whole other element um, that exists online where people upload their own uh, expressions of uh, how they feel about um, being disenfranchised and their neighbourhoods being gentrified. Because A Moving Image was about the gentrification yeah, in Brixton, yeah. uh, which is where Shola I guess was living at that yeah, time. Yeah, he was. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but that's an interesting thing. He's, he's, uh, uh, the film exists as itself, but yeah. also there's an extension of it. Yeah. Um, Which is still ongoing, by the way. Yeah. 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 Um, but his new film is very. It's said semi-autobiographical because I'm sure there's of Nigerian uh, heritage, heritage. Yeah. Um, and there's there are obviously clearly um, his part of his experience, Black British um, experience, and there. But he he the you feel the ambition of the film because he takes it, um, he tells quite a unique mm. uh, story um, 
but connects connecting with that heritage, mm. which I I think is it, it makes it a really um, exciting uh, film. Mm. And you saw the film as part of a program in the South Bank. Yes, uh, called No Direct Flight. Yeah, uh, which I worked on, um, and the the season explored how. Um, the internet has been kind of a force and a catalyst for African diaspora filmmakers and artists to connect. Um, the phrase no direct flight was inspired by the fact that intra-African travel is so difficult. So if you're trying to go from Lagos to Nairobi, sometimes you have to go out of the continent to come back in for a cheaper flight. Um, and then traveling by land is just a no-go. Uh, the countries in between um, are not safe um, most of the time. So. Um, it explored quite a few themes. There were like six strands, um, and Shola's fit very well in the homegoing strand, uh, which looks at the diasporic condition and um, the constant longing for home, uh, which is why for me the third act is the most is the strongest part of the film. Not everybody agrees, mm. uh, but it's a very specific experience, which I think hasn't seen hasn't been seen on British. Uh, in, in British cin cinema before. Mm. It's also a very unique Nigerian um, experience because I uh, just chatting to some friends earlier that I haven't experienced, this might just be me, but I haven't heard any other uh, communities that do this where they send their children to Europe uh, to be brought up and fostered by other people. Mm. Um, it's a very uniquely Nigerian thing and I'm not sure if it's a post-colonial hangover or if it's a whole other yeah. thing um, because with other colonies we haven't done that so it's yeah. it's quite an interesting space. So, so that's the, the, you mentioned the three structures, it, it is a very distinct three act structure yeah. uh, to yeah. and the first the, the first act is the young yeah. uh, Femi mm. and he's in a foster home yeah. on the the sort of suburbs yes. um, so it's young Nigerian yeah. in a foster home on the suburbs yeah. of um, Lincolnshire R Lincolnshire yeah in the in the in the countryside yeah. the, the second is the the urban London mm. which is a kind of much more familiar and mm. um, that's the, that's the, the the images that um, I guess we've seen a lot of mm. but um, the urban black experience mm. But again, he does that in a really distinctive way. Mm. Um, you can see a sort of visual ambition about it mm. that I, I think is, is quite unique. But then this third act, mm. um, going back to Nigeria and mm. connecting, mm. I think it, it, it's a really interesting mm. way in which he's kind of speaking across yeah. all that experience. Well, you mentioned going back, which I think is interesting because it's the first time Femi is ever going to Nigeria, yeah, yeah. but it feels like he's going back. It, but it feels yeah. like a connection. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. We've got a preview of Shola's film, Last Tree, on 16th of September, and Liz will be in conversation with Shola, so there's an opportunity for you to uh, come along, hear Shola talking about this really important new British film, and find out more. Uh, and we'll be opening the film later in the month. Uh, please do come and see it. And on to uh, Watershed's regular programme, we have, of course, um, other feature films that are opening this month. Uh, Thea, there's a couple of films that you're particularly yes. enthusiastic about. Yes, yeah, so we've got um, a first feature from Norwegian um, director Camilla Strom Henriksen, um, it's a film called Phoenix, and it's sort of a mix between sort of magical realism and a sort of kitchen uh, sink drama about a young teenage girl who has to keep her family together after something very, very tragic happens in the first act. And it's a really beautifully accomplished debut with wonderful performances. It's beautifully shot. Mm. 
And it's something that sort of took me by surprise and mm. I can't wait to see what the director she does next for yeah. her, her upcoming features. No, I agree. It was a, um, it's one of those um, great debut films where you, you, you don't really know. I certainly didn't know much about the director at all. And then this um, fully formed, um, really emotionally uh, powerful feature comes along. So, yeah, and no, I thought it was, I completely agree, it's great. Mm. And the, the other film um, you're particularly keen on is Rocco. Yes, um, turn to Latin American cinema, something which I just have all the time in the world for. I love that part of part of the world and what they produce. And so this is um, Benjamin Neistat's third feature, Rojo, which is set in 1975. And I saw this and I didn't really know too much about the context. So it's just before the beginning of the, the Dirty War and the coup d'etat that got out President Isabel Perón in 1976 and it's during a time where lots of disappearances were happening across Argentina but also across the whole of Latin America so there was the coup d'etat in Chile in 1973 and so Neistat's film is about a, a lawyer played by Dario uh, Grandinetti who's been in um, Wild Tales but also lots of Almodovar films um, he lives a very comfortable life um, until one day he gets involved in something and his life sort of starts to to crumble, he's being investigated for a crime. It's a very tonally strange, very tense, sort of noir-esque thriller, but filled with, as lots of Latin American cinema is, absurdist humour and its sort of episodic nature really builds around the fact that during the time where all these thousands of disappearances were happening, everyone knew they were going what was going on, but no one was talking about it. It was completely undocumented. And that is the sort of the way that the story goes, is that you're following a middle-class family and the story is interjected with these sort of horrific acts that are going on. When I first saw it, I was unsure about how I felt about it, but I, I was continuing to think about it. And I think it's something that if you are interested in Latin American cinema and Argentinian cinema, I think it's definitely one to look out for. Mm. I've, not, I've not seen it yet, but the, the images that I've seen from it just, just look fantastic because the, the Rojo, I guess, referring to the colour, yeah. um, and there just seems to be a really interesting colour palette that's happening. Yeah, it's this really wonderful to sepia tone which brings a sort of a, a, a sense of oppression of around that time, mm. but also interjected with these brilliant reds. Mm. And yeah, it's beautifully shot. It's mm. just... Um, Visually, something quite exceptional. Yeah. I, I completely agree about the um, Latin American side. There's a lot of re um, really great films, obviously, that have come out of there. But we've already had we've already had the uh, Mexican films, uh, Chambermaid, Carlos Regadas, Our Time. Coming up, actually, later in the year is Monos um, from Colombia, which is um, quite an extraordinary film. And there's always something really dynamic happening. I find in Latin American cinema when we see it. The, the work that, is, that comes out of that is producing that part of, part of the world is always fascinating. It's always something completely diverse and distinct and interesting mm -hmm. that you can come across. And there's no, you know, you're never going to be bored. It's always something that I find distinct. So Rock opens in September. There are, of course, more films happening across the month. Um, go to watershed.co.uk to find out more. And also, actually, I forgot to mention that the, our Sunday screenings this month are linked with encounters. Um, and these are some names that you, I'm sure you will know, like uh, Denis Villeneuve, um, Alfonso Cuaron, Andrea Arnold and Miyasaki, whose short films have indeed been screened at encounters as early work. 
uh, and we'll be showing their features on Sundays throughout September. That's all for this month. <laughs>